I have the honour of bringing you Paul's final greetings to uh, the Church of Colossians. Uh, forgive my Greek. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, good morning again, church. Uh, it's great to see you once again. Um, keep your Bibles open on Colossians for the last time and allow me to pray before we start. Lord, we want to thank you for sending your son that through him we can know you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for allowing us to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so guide us now as we study the word to see him more clearly and be more like him. This we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, you might be a fan. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres is almost synonymous with love, uh, kindness, and generosity in the world of daytime television. Uh, Ellen's signature sign-off, Be Kind to Everyone, has become a powerful mantra for viewers, encouraging uh, people of different cultures to be empathetic and understanding uh, to, to, to everyone. And Ellen shows an example of, an example of this through his, uh, a variety of acts of generosity in her show, whether it's surprising uh, struggling families with financial support, or maybe she's, she's uh, shining a spotlight on charities uh, that, that makes a different, difference. Uh, Ellen uses her platform to inspire a goodness to a lot of people. The spirit and values of the show has made her not only a successful entertainer, but also a symbol of hope and kindness to people worldwide. However, in 2020, you might remember this during uh, the COVID lockdown, that there was a series of allegations made that backstage or behind the scene, there's a totally different side to Ellen. A series of accusations from, from her staff uh, came out suggesting that she's actually very rude and arrogant and condescending to those uh, working under her. 
uh, one staff member commenting on Twitter that she is one of the meanest person alive. Some claim that she is a bully and the workplace is very toxic and there was even accusations of sexual misconduct and harassment made against her. Now, I don't know if these were true, but I know because of all these things coming out, there was a big drop uh, in viewers at that time and it's possibly one of the main reasons the show was canceled just last year. Um, again, I don't know if it's true, but what we know is that nothing kills admiration better than hypocrisy. Nothing kills respect quicker than phoniness. And there's nothing we hate more than people that lacks authenticity and honesty as a person. And this is why one-off, if not the biggest obstacle to Christianity, is hypocrisy, especially of Christian leaders. That the biggest scandals in the church are often something to do with hypocrisy with big names in the Christian leadership. Now, in the New Testament, we can almost say that the Apostle Paul is the most well-known Christian leader of the time. He's well-known and admired by a lot of people, as we can even see here that he's, he's writing to a church that he has not met before. And he's probably famous because, uh, you know, that he used to be one of the biggest opposition to the Christian faith, and we know that he, he turned his life around and now is the biggest advocate for the, for the movement. And his ministry is such a success that even during his imprisonment, his influence has not died. And so it really kind of puts him on this celebrity status. And this final greeting of the letter reveals to us just a little bit of what Paul's ministry is like behind the scenes. And it shows us a bit of what it would have been like to work with the Apostle Paul. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that the household is not just your family, but it's, it's really like your workplace. It's the people that you deal with a day-to-day basis. And in a way, the people that Paul mentions in the letter is his current household circle, that these are the people that he deals with all the time in ministry. And we know this because a lot of these names are actually mentioned somewhere else in the New Testament. And so I think it's really helpful to get a hint of what Paul would be like privately in the workplace. And so this small end bit is not just a nice touch to the end of the letter, but we see a bit of Paul's authenticity in his ministry. And I wanna show you three principles that the, that the Apostle Paul really lived up to. That three, there's three values that he grounded himself with in his ministry. And if we remember these three things in church, our ministry won't be different from Paul's. And the three things are these. We need to remember that ministry is with people, ministry is about people, ministry is Christ's work through people. Now it's pretty basic and, and obvious, but let's explore these in more details. Firstly, ministry is with people. Uh, one thing that's really clear in our passage is the number of people mentioned. Um, Paul mentions a total of 10 people in our short passage. Uh, and what's kind of common between all of them is that they're all part of Paul's ministry. He described them as faithful ministers, they're co-workers for the gospel, they're servants of Christ Jesus. And they seem to be people from different backgrounds because of their names, possibly of age. We know there's uh, di they're different genders as well, all doing different ministry, di different things. 
And so what's really obvious is that Paul's ministry is not just Paul doing ministry all by himself, that there are dozens of people working with him. And so with all the amazing church planting that Paul has done and the evangelism that he's doing and the deep uh, theological letters that he's been writing, we can see at this passage that it's not just Paul doing all the work. There's a team of Christians working together. In fact, we suspect that Paul has an eye problem because he can't literally write the letter himself. He, he gets someone to do it because he, and he just dictates what to write. And possibly the only part he wrote is verse 18. That's why he's saying, like, I'm writing this with my own hands. As you can see, it's probably all over the place. Now, this is very important to be reminded that ministry is not something that we can do alone. In fact, I was really amazed with the, with the passage and, and, on how much Paul relies on so much people. That he needed uh, Tychicus to be his messenger and to update other churches of the situation. He needed Epaphras wrestling in prayer for the church, working really hard. He highlights him. Nympha for her hospitality and opening up her home. And he, it seems like he was relying on, on a lot of them for their support and even just their company. See, Paul highlights what they do because what they do is just as valuable and crucial for the spread of the gospel and for the maturity of the church. Because often we admire the ministry of Paul, you know. But for Paul to do what he has been called to do, that there are dozens of other workers with Paul doing what they need to do in order for Paul to do his ministry. That we might sometimes put Paul on this pedestal because of all the work that he's doing, but Paul speaks highly of his co-workers because he knows that the work that they do is just as important. And I think we've been saying this over and over that for us to even run something like the Christianity Explained, it's not just one person explaining what Christianity is. We need a number of committed people to be able to run it. We need someone to help organize the meals. We need someone who, who might be creative to help us with setting up the room. Someone to stack up the chairs. Someone diligent to help with the promotion. Someone to engage with the non-Christians on the table. Someone, we need people to be inviting people in. We need people praying. And maybe just someone to encourage us because it can get discouraging sometimes. And so there are dozens, if not hundreds, of other works and steps that needed to be done even to run a very simple event. And if one of them is not done, it's either the ministry doesn't run well or it doesn't run at all. And so like Paul's ministry, we need to partner with others to accomplish the work that God has given us. We need to share our gifts and our talents in order to support and support one another constantly. So I think this part of the letter, which again seems to be kind of unimportant because it's just a bunch of names put together, but it's a clear and tangible example of when Paul described the church as a body working together for the gospel, that we need one another to function well. Because I believe there's a, there's a, da a danger in the church, what we sometimes kind of think, the, the minister myth. That the idea that the pastor can always do things better. Or the idea that only trained professionals should do ministry because they are they're experts and they're more spiritual. Uh, Larry Osborne, in his book, Sticky Church, he calls this the, the holy man myth. 
He says, the holy man myth is the idea that pastors and clergy somehow have a more direct line to God. And so it cripples the church because it overburdens pastors and underutilizes the gifts and anointing of everyone else. It mistakenly equates leadership gifts with superior spirituality. He's saying that pastors are, are sometimes equated to someone like, like Moses or, the, or a great high priest, that they have a, a closer connection with God, and so they have a, some sort of spiritual power. And so we end up leaving all the, the professional spiritual work for, for the pastors or spiritual leaders, because we think that God will answer prayers better if the pastor is the one praying. That pastor, pray for the food. Maybe it gives better nourishment. I don't know. The pastor, pray for this person because you're more spiritual, but maybe God will hear you better. That this church event will, turn, will have a better turnout if the pastor plans it. That my neighbor will more likely to accept the gospel if a professional explains, explains it to her. And so because we have this, this minister myth, we also start to believe this maturity myth, which is the idea that that I'm not good enough to do ministry. That ministry is for someone who is more experienced, more trained, or more, more spiritual people in the church. It's the thinking of that, well, I can't lead a small group because I don't have all the answers that people might have. That I'm not experienced enough or old enough to give my in- input. I, I leave that to the ver- veterans. That we often kind of think that I need some sort of training to talk to people, maybe a seminar on how to read the Bible, a conference on how to pray. Again, if we make these the basis of our ministry, then what will happen is that we would, we would be spectators and consumers rather than active and crucial members of the church. We'll always be thinking that there's someone who's better to do the job. Now, it's good to build up our skills But if we rely so much on attaining some sort of perfection before serving, then our standards just keeps getting higher and higher and higher, and we'll keep using that as an excuse. And let's not forget the type of people that God uses throughout the Bible. It's almost a prerequisite for God to use the unqualified, incompetent, unconfident, ordinary, but faithful people. Because if things work, if the ministry works, then, and people come to faith, and the church grows, and the church matures, then they cannot say it's because of them. But all glory points back to God, because it's because of Him. And so if you pay attention closely to, to what Paul is doing here, he's basically empowering people for ministry. That Paul is entrusting these Christians with, with specific tasks and responsibilities and roles within the community, and in the end, these are just ordinary people doing extraordinary work of ministry. Um, in October 1999, an IT guy by the name of Jimmy Wales had this brilliant idea that he wanted to create a website that will provide a free but trustworthy resources to the public and he, because he wanted to compete with uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. And so he hired another IT guy, his name is Larry uh, Sanger, and together they launched in March 2000 a website called Newpedia, 
right? I don't know if you've heard of Newpedia. What he did was that he hired professionals, historians, scholars, uh, preferably if they have a PhD on a, on a certain um, field. And so he would ask them to write an article and they, they'll get paid for it. And, and yeah, and kind of put all that together in their website. And after six months, after launching the website, they're able to produce two articles. And so the problem was that they have this very limited number of paid professionals and even, you know, even before they post something, they want to make sure that there's a long process of editing and checking uh, the, the backgrounds and resources. So in three years' time, they were able to produce 24 articles. And they thought it was a waste of time and money and resources, so they just shut the website down. But after a year, they launched Newpedia, they thought, well, let's also start another website, and let's call it Wikipedia. But this time, let's, start a, let's, let's do a different paradigm where ordinary people can write and submit any information on any topic, and if it's good enough, we'll just post, post it on the website. And someone else in the public can cross-check what they said and their references. And so the first year of launching the website, they were able to produce 40,000 articles of people just putting in uh, information. Now, I think we can all kind of agree that if you Google something, often the first resource that you will find is Wikipedia. Like high school assignments is basically a cut and paste from Wikipedia. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm, I'm not here to promote Wikipedia as being the most reliable source of information, but my point is that most churches operate within the new PDA model, that we get fully trained professional clergies and leaders who do all the work, but the biblical model is showing us that the, the Wikipedia model, where the leaders empower and utilizes people so that the people themselves can do the ministry and matures the church. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says this, that from him, that from Christ, that the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself, itself up in love as each part does its work. When does the church grow? It's when every part does the work. That the work of every member in the church is vital for the proper function and maturity of the church. Which means that there's probably tasks in the church that only you can do. That there are certain, there's, there's certain people in the church that only you can bring to Christ. That there are certain people in the church that only you can mentor. Maybe you're good at teaching. Maybe you're good at listening. Maybe you're good at giving advice. Maybe you're the compassionate giver. Whatever you do, the church needs your commitment that someone in the crowd needs your gifting, your talent, your talent, your skills in order for them and for the whole church to grow in their faith. That every member doing the work in order to grow one another. Ministry is with people. Which leads us to our second point that ministry is about people. And as we said, Paul is surrounded by all these people He's doing ministry with. And at the start of the letter, the letter is addressed to God's holy people. It's, it's for God's holy people. And then Paul commands the, the Colossian church back in chapter 1, verse 4, that he says that, you know, that you guys are doing really well because of your love 
for all God's people. See, all this ministry is about people. Like it, ministry can be fun, doing it with people, with the community, but that's not the goal. It can be rewarding and, and satisfying as it, it gives you purpose, but your satisfaction is not the end goal. That ministry can be fulfilling when you accomplish something. But in the end, even with, with all the people that we gather, it's not about ticking boxes and meeting goal targets. We should do what we do because we care for people. Ministry is about people. And you can just sense the tone of Paul's final greeting that he deeply cared for the people that he mentioned. He cares for the people he works with. He cares for the church he's writing to. And about you, I can really sense the authenticity and passion, not for ministry, not for the work that Paul is doing, but for the people that he cares about. That even his letter in general, it shows he cares for the people in Colossae, even though he has not met them before. Chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how hard I'm contending or fighting for you and for those at Laodicea and for, for all who have not met me personally. And we know this is not just a one-off because Paul does the same thing with his other letters. So we can sense or see the capacity of Paul's love and concern for people. Paul is repeatedly reminding us that we are meant to love the church, not just an organization, but the, indiv the individual people that, that makes up the church. Because for Paul, the church is not just this, this name of Colossian church. It consists of individual people. That's why he, he takes the time to mention all these names, because these names make up the church. And so they probably haven't heard from one another for so long, maybe for years. And so he's updating them of how people are. He sends people to make sure that they get updates of how they're doing because ministry is about people. In the same way here in Tungabi Baptist Church, it's, you know, we are an organization somehow, but it's not just an organization. It consists of individual, unique lives. Each person has a name. Each name has a story to share. And each story has their own struggles, own challenges, own fears and dreams that they have. And so each person has a value. And so we often ask, how many individual people in the church do you really know? How many individual people in the church do you, are you praying for? How many people in the church that you've opened up your life to and they really, really know you? If not, it might not be ministry. You, you might not be doing church. You might be rostered in, but it might just be a task to tick. Because at its core, ministry is creating a community where individual people is seen, is heard, and valued through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Look back to, to chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. This is for the church. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's what the church does to each other. In verse 13, bear with each other, forgive one another. Why is it there? 
Because if you get to know someone well enough, I can assure you they're going to start to annoy you and you're going to annoy them. And this is why it's so hard to find that perfect church because it's so hard to, to love difficult people and it's hard to be loving because we're all sinners by nature. And it's a lot easier to be in a church where you don't have to rub against other people. It's easier to just watch online and say you've done church because you've sang a song and heard a sermon. But we tend to forget that church is about people. When I was in Bible college, a pastor told a visiting pastor told me that the most difficult part in doing ministry is people. That without people, he says ministry will be a lot easier. And it's true, without, without people, my job will be a lot easier. It's a lot easier to be candid, to, to write a monologue and preach than to engage with someone who doesn't know how to listen and be patient with that person. And so it's like saying marriage will be easy if I don't have to deal with my spouse or parenting will be easy if it doesn't involve the kids. Ministry will be easy if it doesn't involve people. There's no personality, there's no emotions to deal with, no needy people, no bickering in behind. See, people's lives are messy. And often we can't even deal with our own mess, let alone other people's mess. But the purpose of the church is the very difficult people themselves. I don't have time to go through the names, but even the name of Onesimus over there, that he's a runaway slave that Paul has to deal with. And he's asking Philemon to take this slave back. And that's, this is important to always remember, remember because it is people that God has rescued from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's, the, it's messy people that God has saved to be his chosen people. It's people created in the image of God that Jesus Christ came to die for in order to save them from sin and death. Ministry is difficult to sustain because of people. And so unless you care about the people in the church, it will be unsustainable. Unless you care about the soul or the eternal destiny of people, evangelism is unsustainable. I mean, you can do it temporarily, but to do it passionately for a long time, it's impossible to do with the wrong motive. And this is why we look to the gospel to sustain us. Look again what Christ has done. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. Paul says, when you, right? That's, that's you people. That includes you. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. See, the reason why we should be patient with people in the church, why we should be forgiving towards those that, that, that rubs us the wrong way, the reason why we should be passionate about the non-Christians that we haven't met yet, the, the reason why we should be welcoming to the weird, to the weird person that comes in, the reason why to be like this is because Jesus Christ is as patient, as forgiving, as passionate, as welcoming, and as sacrificial, even more, to us. And so in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, I don't think I have it there, but in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, ver, sorry, chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, God 
was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he has given us the message of reconciliation. That God is committed to, reconcil to reconciling people back to him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's reconciliation? It's, it's restoration. It's getting people close. That we're called to the same task and not holding against someone else, not holding anything against someone, but to commit ourselves to the same reconciliation. And this is why I believe we need our last point. We need to remember that ministry is God's work through people. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 29, Paul said this about, so he talked about the gospel, he talked about the work of, of ministry, and then he goes, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He doesn't use his own energy and will, but Christ's power in him. It's like saying that Jesus is right there, helping me every step of the way. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, Paul said this about the church. Right? So he said that about himself, and then chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, he said this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. In, for in Christ, all the fullness of God, of the deity, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And he's the head over every power and authority. Now, Paul is talking about salvation here. But you can, you can apply that in ministry, that all the fullness, all the power of Christ is available through us because we are in him. That if you're a Christian, you have the power and the will of Jesus Christ available for you because you are in him. And Jesus said that himself in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end, very end of the age. What's the assurance? All authority has been given to him. He's saying, I am in control. Colossians 1 says, Christ is supreme over everything. He's in control. What's the command? Go and make disciples. Colossians says, teach and admonish one another. Grow one another in love. Turn people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But what, and what's the promise? He says, I am with you always till the very end. Paul says in Colossians something deeper. He says, Christ is not just with you, but you are in him. Real ministry it's not just us doing things, but it's Jesus working through us. And so the reason why Paul believed in the potential of people is because he knew exactly who is behind the ministry work. Now, it doesn't mean that we can be complacent with the work, but it means that, our, that we can be assured that our efforts and our perseverance will not be in vain. You know, as I said, Paul is writing the letter while in chains. He says that, be reminded, I'm in prison but see, ministry is still happening. The kingdom is still growing. Why? Because God's people, they're not reliant on Paul. It doesn't depend on the celebrity apostle. 
but everyone else is doing their part. Paul's imprisonment is not stopping the gospel. But the greater assurance is that Christ is at work in people. Uh, for the last few months, because of all the house renovations that I'm trying to do, I uh, uh, had to buy a fair bit of, of tools. Uh, I bought the, a, a, a bunch of Ryobi set. I know, it's not, I know it's not the trade's choice, but it's good enough. It does the work. So don't, um, don't hold me against that. Um, so I have the, the, the basics, the circular saw, the drill, the nail gun, and a few other things. Uh, and might, if I ask you what's, what's the best tool that you have, what's your, what's your favorite one? I'm sure, you know, some of you will, will have their, the favorite tools that you use. But, you know, you know what's the most important one in there? You know what's the most important one? The battery. You lose the battery, you can't do anything. It doesn't matter how good the tool is. See, in church, we're all like different tools, different gifts, different experiences, different backgrounds and culture. So our ministry will be different from one another. Our use will be different. But we're just as important. But what is amazing is that we all rely on the same battery source. Look at what Paul said again. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy, not my energy, but Christ so powerfully works in me. And you know what? The same power that was working in Paul, the same power that writes these incredible letters, the same power that allowed him to plant churches, the same power that, that, that gave him the, the authority and, uh, and the confidence to, to front government officials is the same power that is in you. You have the same access to the wisdom, will, power, and spirit to carry the task, what you have been called to do. Ministry is with people. We're all in this together. Ministry is for people. We're called to continue what Christ has done to give our life for others. Ministry is Christ's work through, through people. That our greatest assurance in ministry is that we are in Christ to help us keep going. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, not just for our salvation, but using as your, as your power tools to continue building your kingdom and building your house. So Lord, we pray that, that we will humble ourselves and not rely on someone else, not rely on, on ourselves, but always remember that Christ is in us and we are in him. And through the Spirit, O oh Lord, we can do anything because you, Lord, is our supreme over all things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.